0: Let us pray. Yes, come, Holy Spirit, fill us who have gathered here out of love for you. Fill our hearts with your presence and your very life. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as hard as it is to believe, uh, the summer season is coming to a close. After all, public and private schools will begin classes in or around the middle of August, at least in the South, they will, and colleges are not far behind. I'm teaching at Bright Divinity School this fall, and I've just kinda been laid back and taking it easy. Really? And I thought, uh, (laughs) yesterday, I thought, oh, maybe I better see when classes start. (laughs) And I looked at the academic calendar and classes start August 21st. (laughs) I thought I had at least until after Labor Day. (laughs) So I've got my work cut out for me between now and then. Oh my, oh my. But I still have until August 21st. And if you're like me, you may be looking for one last adventure in these few weeks. I mean... Everything kicks back into a more regular schedule once people go back to school and work schedules begin to normalize. Well, our sermon series that will take us from today through the month of August and through Labor Day weekend uh, Sunday is all about these last days of summer and final adventures and travels and how we understand them. And even if you're not traveling, This series gives us a chance to consider things like staycations, or weekend or one day jaunts out into the area around us, exploring, or even encouraging us to set aside a day or days for a journey of our mind and heart. But, you know, the thing is about traveling is that you have to do some things before you go traveling. Uh, some hard work to think about where you're going to make arrangements and to pack well and to think about the baggage that we're carrying with us right well ever the one to put off packing until the very last minute after I had finally packed for our summer trip to Europe in June I picked up my bag and I couldn't lift it it was so heavy. I had put everything in the kitchen sink in there. I mean, I had to quickly pull out things out of my, clo- out of my bag and throw them into the floor of my closet, and that's where I left them. I, I didn't even have time to hang things up. I just pulled, started pulling things. I didn't even know what I was pulling out or what I might need. <laughs> I just started pulling things out of that bag. Now, as a bit of an anxious flyer, I was stunned as we arrived at the airport to see that There were a plethora of bags everywhere, and the size of the bags that many people were checking scared me to death. I mean, how does a plane get off the ground with all of us and all of our bags, you know? How could it ever get into the air? I mean, you know, my bag alone could have grounded us. (laughs) Well, I learned something getting ready for this sermon, that there is an organization called the International Civil Aviation Organization. It's a group of engineers who determine how much cargo is safe for domestic and international flights. Phew! I am so glad that somebody is watching that. So glad to hear it. And obviously it's necessary for safe travel and a safe flight. But I want us to not only think about, literally, about the travels that we make and how we plan and what luggage we carry and which baggage we carry, but it's also a metaphor for our own life's journey, for our faith. You know, what is the baggage that we're carrying around that will weigh us down so that our travel won't be light? Not just the physical travel of packing bags and carrying them and. Them on airplanes or wherever we're going, but the emotional baggage that keeps us from having, being able to live and, and move about in a light way. You know, uh, it's interesting that whenever we're planning a trip, it, I think uh, it's both uh, realistic, somber, and grounded in reality at times very difficult, yet it's also about soaring on wings of anticipation, right? So when you plan a trip, you, you are realistic about it, how long it's going to take us to get places and what troubles might we run into, you know, just getting through the, the TSA checkpoints, you know, uh, and, and then how are we going to get about, and, and so there's a realistic Uh, understanding of our trip, as well, uh, that can sometimes be facing difficulties, right? But in the midst of that, we are in this anticipation of hope and excitement and adventure and what might happen and what could happen and what we will see and who we will encounter. I mean, it's a fascinating tension. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for our spiritual lives. There's a reality of our living, But we can also live into this very hopeful place anticipating what can be, like our invocation says, what can be. So I think that um, the best part of all of this is to say that we can turn to our scriptures, the ancient scriptures of our faith, both in the New Testament and in our Hebrew scriptures, and learn from our ancestors, who had all this same stuff going on as we do, you know? And so there's a lot that we can (coughs) learn from the stories of our faith. In today's uh, second lesson, we hear the story of Israel. It's better known to us as Jacob. Jacob is the the son of Rachel, and, and Jacob, who is beloved by, I mean, Joseph is the young son of Rachel and Jacob, who, whom Jacob <coughs> adores. And, and this is one of the longest stories in our Hebrew scriptures. It goes on for chapters and chapters and chapters, and it's very intriguing. And, and all kinds of things are woven into it. And so I, I'm only going to summarize a little bit of it for us today. You'll be grateful. (laughs) But uh, I encourage you to read the story, because it is a fascinating story. In the story, uh, we hear about how Joseph is Jacob's favorite, and we hear about how uh, uh, Joseph was so preferred that he makes this coat of many colors. The amazing technicolor dream coat, right? Right? and it gives it to Joseph. And I don't know about you, but if you have siblings, you know that sometimes when one sibling gets (laughs) something and the others don't, that little jealousy strikes up, right? Why are they getting that? I didn't get that, you know? Or why do I have to have the used car handed down to me? You know, Uh, those kinds of things. Well, uh, I I, I hate to say this, but uh, Joseph was a little obnoxious. You know, he he wasn't uh, self-aware enough to realize that him getting the coat of many colors and him telling about his dreams to his brothers might offend them. It never occurred to him. He he just tells these stories to his brothers about his grain, you know. Of grain, you know, all they bow down to him, and then he has the stars and the sun and the moon bow down to him. I mean, it's a little arrogant, don't you think? And is it any wonder that the other sons were jealous of him? But that jealousy, without it being framed carefully, turned into resentment, which turned into anger which led to lies, and the selling of Joseph into slavery, and and the estrangement of this whole family from Joseph. The father believing that his son had died, the, the, the lies in the family being destructive to the whole family, That little jealousy that was not addressed, that was not moderated, that didn't help these young men find a way to stay in relationship. And during the time of Paul, who, by the way, in writing the letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, was in prison. Now, he had his own quarters, and he was under guard by Roman soldiers, but he was also allowed visitors and able to do ministry, and so we get these letters from him from prison. And Paul's main purpose of writing to the church at Ephesus is to focus on the body, the body of Christ, which he sees as the church. And 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 he believes that both Jews and Gentiles needed to live together in unity as one and so he wrote to promote this unity in the church at Ephesus now his emphasis throughout this letter is on love isn't that interesting his emphasis is on love so all of Paul's letters both those directly attributed to him and the ones Attributed to his followers who wrote in his name, reference love. But in the in the thirteen epistles, a whole full one-sixth of the references of love come from the letter to the church at Ephesus. That's how important love is to Paul. But all is not sweetness and light here. I mean, Paul knows the nature of humanity. He knows the struggles that we bring to ourselves by, and he knows the challenges of trying to live together and serve God as a community. You know, I always say to people, I say, you know, uh, don't come to church if you want to pick your friends, because it doesn't work that way. We don't get to decide who comes. God decides who comes, and it is our responsibility to care for them, to bring them into community, to help them have a sense of belonging, but... Paul knows that we have a hard time with all of that. That, you know, we get in community and we have meetings and we fuss with each other. You know, things like what color the carpet should be in the sanctuary. Or where to put the Coke machine. What kind of ministries we're going to do. I mean, and so Paul gives heartfelt instructions to the church at Ephesus. Don't lie. Tell the truth to your neighbor. Don't be angry and sin. Don't, you know, don't make room for evil in your life. Uh, don't let hatred, hated talk come out of your mouth. Uh, do talk about what is good for the building up of the, of the community. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't you wonder about that? How often we grieve the Holy Spirit by what we say and what we do, especially... Toward those we are called to love. Put away bitterness and anger. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Do you hear the passion in this letter? Paul is anxious and wanting to make sure this church at Ephesus holds together. So we hear in today's first lesson... Paul includes bitterness in his list of emotions that needed to be avoided. The Greek word here for bitterness is pigria, that is translated as extreme wickedness, a bitter root, and so producing a bitter fruit bitter hatred. Paul is passionate about helping this church hold together. Passionate about encouraging people to avoid behaviors and attitudes that could prove destructive. Now, having said all that, I think it's important for us to remember that bitterness does not begin as bitterness. It begins with unforgiven pain. Bitterness begins with unforgiven pain. Remember the story of Joseph and how the brothers' jealousy wrought their family's estrangement. Out of the jealousy is born bitterness because there is no forgiveness there. Our lack of forgiveness is why we choose to hold on to bitterness letting it ripen into full-grown resentment and anger. I don't know anybody like that. Do you? you know anybody who would do that? And the worst part is this. According to the Mayo Clinic, carrying the heavy weight of bitterness and resentment causes physical problems and leads to strain even in relationships other than the one that is initially causing all the pain. In other words, we let it go out like fingers into the rest of our relationships. Well, you know, I told you that in order to go on our trip, we're going to need to unpack this baggage. And we need to unpack the emotional baggage we carry. I don't know if you notice this in our culture, but people line up for hours before the new iPhone is released. Go into debt to purchase the latest car or spend fortunes on maintaining a perfect lawn. Born out of the desire to be as good or better than the other. Uh, A little jealousy there, perhaps, that develops into resentment. I mean, Americans soothe jealousies, sting by accumulating things, material goods, often going into debt to prove our worth. So to unpack that jealousy, to lighten our load, we have to do the hard work, which is the work of honest self-reflection. Doing the hard work of examining our motives and connecting to our better angels and making space for and seeking God, right? And so we unpack jealousy and turn our attention to what results from jealousy, which is bitterness and resentment and anger. Anne Peterson, who is a poet and speaker writing for the Christian Century, says this, while it looks like we are unable to forgive, sometimes we need to face the fact that we are unwilling to forgive. (laughs) That our pride or our our desire for self-control or whatever it may be is that we're unwilling. We're just flat unwilling. Now, remember that forgiving and being in re-entering relationship are two different things. We can forgive but not enter a relationship that is destructive to us but we can still forgive. And you shouldn't go back into a relationship where you are, there's going to be destructive behavior. But we should always strive for that forgiveness. So we take the time for this interior work of contemplation, reflection, and self-examination. You know the old saying, resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Well, let's don't do that. Or the idea that the person or people we are jealous of or resentful of or bitter with or angry with often hold behaviors and attitudes that we hold. (laughs) In other words, they are a mirror to us, and we see in them what we don't like in us. And so we hold that lack, we don't give forgiveness, we hold the bitterness and all of that. Well, Jesus, who forgave so many people... He encountered, and ultimately the people who executed him, offers a, a different perspective on this. Offers us hope and freedom and peace in exchange for jealousy, bitterness, and anger. That this is the realities jealousy, bitterness, and anger, but there is this tension between that reality and the hope that this trip of faith, this journey, has unbelievable opportunities for us. So to unpack our baggage, we can identify a person who may have hurt us, a person or a group of people, set down the baggage of jealousy, set down the baggage of bitterness and anger and resentment. And here's the toughest part of this exercise besides the self-reflection is to pray for them much less in prayer is very hard to do at first it might be a real struggle to do in fact it might feel impossible but over time the practice becomes a habit and rather than struggling alone We can humble ourselves and seek to affirm and learn from one another. That's why we come to church, folks. That's why we are in community, so that we don't have to do this alone, so that we can be in community, so we can have people who have journeyed before us and who come behind us, who have experienced things and can help us see better and understand better these things. Now, Joseph was far from a perfect character, but in him we see an example of how forgiveness can bring about reconciliation. So J- Joseph is sl- sold into slavery, he has a hard beginning in Egypt where he finds himself in slavery, but he ultimately rises to the second most powerful person in Egypt <coughs> next to the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh is the most powerful, he is the second. And he's put in command of all kinds of things. In the meantime, there's a famine in Israel, and so his family, his brothers, uh, find their way. There's a couple of trips back and forth, but They find their way to Egypt. And finally, they come face-to-face with the one they sold into slavery. And, oh, my God. You know, as dramatic as Joseph always is in the story, he dramatically wails and cries and carries on after he encounters his brothers because of all the pain he has carried. But finally, he says to them, the famous lot, you intended this for evil, But God intended this for good. You don't get to that place in your journey without having spent some time asking yourself, where has God been in this whole journey of my life? In the struggles I've had, in the challenges I've faced, in what has happened in my life, where is God? And what I think you will begin to discern is that God has shown God's self over and over and over again, even in the midst of your jealousy, even in the midst of your bitterness and resentment and anger. God has, conti- and that's where we go and what the story we get from Joseph. Healing, reconcile, and so he reconciles with his family. It's a pretty powerful story. Not all end that well. Sometimes we don't, aren't able to reconcile. But healing, reconciliation, and hope are possible when there is forgiveness. Joseph forgives his brothers. Healing and reconciliation are possible when there is forgiveness. Even the forgiveness of ourselves, which is the hardest one. It's the hardest one. One of my favorite books. It's called, If Grace is True, by Philip Gully and James Mulholland. And in that book, they talk about the great heavenly banquet. And what they say is, when you come to the eternity of God and you sit down at the great heavenly banquet, there will be people on either side of you. On the one side will be the person who has harmed you the most. And on the other side will be the person whom you have harmed the most. And yet, together, together, we will feast at that heavenly banquet and be reconciled through a God of grace and forgiveness and hope and light and life. You probably know the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Her family, she and her family were captured by the Germans and put into a concentration camp because they had chosen to protect Jews. Her whole family was lost to the concentration camps and her sister was particularly brutalized by one guard in the camp where they were together. After she got, she survived and after getting out, she preached about forgiveness and in all her travels talked about love and forgiveness. And she is quoted as saying, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still and God will give us the love to be able to forgive our enemies. But then she was faced with it. The guard who had terrorized and brutalized her sister shows up at one of her talks. And she sees him and recognizes him, and at the end, he starts coming toward her, and she thinks she cannot engage him. She just cannot. Her hate, you know, and and she struggles deeply, but then something changes in her, and she says to him, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And this is what she wrote. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love as I tried and did not have the power. It was the power of God's Holy Spirit that transformed me. Friends, we are not meant to carry the weight of jealousy, bitterness, and anger and resentment. God invites you and me to trade them for freedom and peace and hope. And so let's lighten our load, shall we? Let's lighten our load and get rid of the baggage that keeps us bound and held down so that we can make this journey of faith and life in the freedom, peace, and hope that God offers to us this day and every day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.